Hive of the beautiful Buckhead District of Atlanta. This is your personal transgender scientist, Dana Bevan. This podcast is about culture, the third factor in transgender causation. In previous podcasts, I covered the first two factors that result in a genetic behavior predisposition, which is an inborn tendency to behave and feel with regard to gender behavior. So what are the facts that lead me to believe that culture is a factor in transgender causation. First of all, being transgender appears to only occur in Western culture. Among the cultures and subcultures of the world that have been scientifically studied, Western culture is peculiar because it is binary, cisgender, and inflexible. Each of those characteristics contributes to transgender causation. By definition, transgender people violate cultural rules. This is because their biological predisposition doesn't agree with their gender category assignment. In Western culture, this category is assigned at birth according to sex. Transgender people are, by definition, cultural outlaws, and for this reason experience rejection. Culture identifies gender behaviors and organizes them into behavior categories, which are sometimes arbitrary and change over time. Current Western culture only has two categories, feminine and masculine. Today, long hair and high heel shoes with red soles are generally considered as feminine, but it wasn't always this way. If you remember the Three Musketeers or the Royalist soldiers in the British Isles during the 1600s, they had long hair. But then Oliver Cromwell formed a military force to take over the English government. His men were called roundheads because they cut their hair short to distinguish themselves from the royalists. Military haircuts continued to get progressively shorter for male warriors. Until today, in the United States, our top generals nearly all have short buzz cuts. As for the Labutan high heel shoes with red soles worn by women today, they were originally a requirement of Louis XIV for noblemen of his court. Of course, they weren't quite so high as today's stilettos on women, but fashion and culture can go to extremes. Why do male rock stars present on stage with long hair, skirts, makeup, and sky-high platform shoes, which one might consider to be in the feminine category? They do so to shock and attract attention by breaking cultural gender roles. But most transgender people try to fit into their congruent gender category, and are not out to shock anyone. Why is Western culture peculiar? Let's consider its three peculiar characteristics. Western culture only recognizes two gender categories and is referred to as binary. Other cultures have up to five gender behavior categories, which potentially provides more, a better fit for a person's gender behavior predisposition. Over the years, many cultures have been disrupted by the advance of Western culture. Although some of them survived as subcultures, they are under continuous pressure to be Westernized. Many were extinguished or dislocated by wars and conquest. Some were even disrupted by the evacuation before atomic bomb tests in the South Pacific. Some were very heavily influenced by religious missionaries. Here are some of my favorite non-binary cultures. In the 1800s, at least 150 tribes of the Plains Native American West had three gender behavior categories, and half of those, or 75, had four gender categories. 
People in these categories were different with respect to presentation and activities, but they all contributed to the survival of the tribe. Before these tribes were totally disrupted, they were studied and documented by anthropologists. At one point, it was jokingly said that a typical Zuni Native American family consisted of parents and children and one or two anthropologists. The Zuni are a Native American tribe that live in New Mexico and Arizona in the United States. The Bougainese people of Indonesia have five gender behavior categories, two each for birth males and females and one for spiritual counselors, which is open to either sex. They are called the Bisu. The Bugis are integrated into the fabric of Indonesia and neighboring countries and are generally prosperous. A few have become high political leaders. The Bugis are Muslims, and although having their own speech or spiritual gender behavior category might be seen as in conflict with the prerogatives of Muslim clerics, after a bit of negotiating, the Muslim clerics published a fatwa or position paper to deconflict the two spiritual counseling sources. It's a case where religion and subculture have worked things out. In another part of the world live the Waria, a third gender category in the southern Indonesian subculture. These third gender people are birth males who are involved in such occupations as taking care of children, teaching, and hairdressing. They are under cultural pressure and prohibited from improving their lives by engaging in other legitimate occupations. And some are forced into street economies. One of them achieved a sort of fame by being a nursemaid to a boy before he became a US president. You may not know who Ann Dunham was, but while she was doing anthropological research in Indonesia, she needed childcare help. She hired a warrior named Evie to take care of her son, the young Barack Obama. Journalistic stories indicate that Evie has fallen on hard times due to conflicts with local police. It's not reported how Evie presented when she was a nanny for Barack. The Muxi live in the extreme southern part of Mexico. They constitute a subculture with three gender categories, derived from the local Native American Zapotec culture. They are males who present in feminine gender. Villages and towns celebrate them in festivals with flamboyant costumes. At that time, they received blessings from the local Catholic churches. This is another example how even religion can come to an accommodation with non-Western binary subcultures. Since I studied mountain and winter warfare in college, my very favorite subculture survivor is the Chukchi of Siberia. For most of their existence, this hardy culture lived off reindeer herds and followed their movements. They have a three-gender system. Since the 1700s, the Russians have sent several military expeditions to disrupt the Chukchi, and all of which were failures due to the expertise of the Chukchi in winter warfare tactics. The Chukchi still survive, although the last information I've gotten about them was that they had been tamed not by war, but by intermarriage. Making love, not war, seems to be changing them. I want to emphasize that these third, fourth, and fifth gender category people are not transgender. They are just complying with the gender rules of their culture, and they are not outlaws. So Western culture is peculiar because it's binary. The second peculiar characteristic 
and transgender producing characteristic of Western culture is that it is cisgender. Cisgender means that only birth sex is used to assign newborns to one of the two gender behavior categories. This assignment is done without considering their childhood behavior or predispositions. Other cultures use additional criteria for assignment of children to gender behavior categories. These include childhood behavior and childhood imaginings. Some cultures even use ritual tests. Using these additional criteria should result in a better fit with the available gender categories. So Western culture is peculiar because it is cisgender. The third peculiarity of Western culture it is that it is inflexible because it rejects people who behave in ways that are incompatible with their culturally assigned gender behavior category. Some believe that gender behavior is sex-linked based on evolution or ethereal creation, and no flexibility should be allowed. However, science contradicts these views in support of what is called the kinship theory of human evolution. Humans survived and evolved in hunter-gathering groups or tribes or clans whose members shared many of the same genes. These groups had to be resourceful and flexible because their survival depended on it. Although they may not have realized it, all of the people of the tribe benefited from this behavioral flexibility because the genes that they shared were passed on regardless of whether or not they had had offspring. They needed diversity of talent and flexibility to survive. The North American Plains Native Americans allowed movements between categories because they honored individual people for who they were and all uh, over and above any categorization. Some were called two spirits and they changed their presentation depending on the task we're engaged in. Sometimes they would dress in traditional feminine garments to weave blankets and later in the day change to masculine garments when involved in war. I recently talked to an expert who was raised in the Plains culture and did research on transgender issues. She maintains that the usual two-spirit characterization is a little too simplistic. For example, those males assigned to a feminine third-gender culture would change to masculine garb to wage war all right, but they had special tasks related to military strategy that the masculine male category or the masculine female categories did not. Many two-spirits became leaders of their tribes, either as chiefs or as medicine men, for this reason. It's believed by some that Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse, two prominent Native American tribal chiefs, were raised in third gender, gender categories. So Western culture is peculiar because it is inflexible. If you go on the internet to learn about the present and past gender systems, which are different from Western culture, you'll frequently see that often the gender categories beyond the binary are described as transgender. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is a misunderstanding that comes from a limited Western culture perspective. To be transgender means to be a cultural outlaw, and the people in these categories and cultures are generally in compliance with the rules. They were not and are not transgender. Western culture appears to be unique in causing people to be transgender. Because it only has two gender categories, Western culture gives people fewer categories that might fit with their genetic gender predisposition. Western culture automatically assigns people to gender categories based on external genital sex at birth, 
rather than consider their individuality. And it rejects and condemns those who violate gender rules because of their genetic gender predisposition. But in looking across the diverse gender systems, there are hopeful examples that religious and cultural institutions can come to accommodations with diversity. We should also not forget that the United States Constitution and Bill of Rights were structured to deal with diversity problems and minority groups, although it started as being notably flawed with regard to slavery. Transgender people cannot change their genetic gender predisposition, but they can change Western culture to better accommodate diversity, and not just for themselves. Right now, they are on the cutting edge with a few other minorities that seek to change culture for the better. Next time, we'll talk about the fourth causal factor in being transgender, that of early childhood learning and recognition.